Okay, good morning. All right. Well, we have been as a church in a uh, series called Jesus, Con or King, and it's a look at the Gospel of Mark uh, in the Bible. And what we're doing through this series, uh, this is our fourth week now, we are essentially asking a pretty basic question, but it's one that many people we think in Ottawa at some stage uh, will ask themselves if they ever uh, consider Jesus and the person of Jesus Christ. And that question is simply this. Was Jesus who he said he was? Was Jesus actually king, the, the, the promised Messiah that a people had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for, and then he finally showed up, and that's what we know of him through the Bible, or is what we read in the Bible about Jesus just a lie, and is what Christians believe, Christians all around the world, from many different types of churches, many different styles of churches, but fundamentally, does what, all they, what they all believe, is it wrong? Is, is it just kind of a big illusion that Jesus' followers, maybe in the, in the early years after Jesus walked the earth, maybe they just kind of were masters of spin and spun these incredible kind of fantasy-type stories that have turned Jesus into more of a legend than somebody that we can actually take as truth. So as we go through the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, that's kind of what we're looking at. Can we believe this? And uh, this morning we're going to be, we're still in Mark chapter 1, we're moving at a, at a snail's pace, but that's a good thing because there's so much good stuff in here for us. So here we are week 4, we are at verse 9, so at this rate by the time you are dead and gone we may be halfway through Mark's gospel, okay? <laughs> so we're going to be in it for a long time, but we love moving slowly through this because we believe that, that uh, what the Bible says, I mean I'll, I'll lay my cards on the table, I'm a, I'm a pastor so you can probably guess where I stand on that question, okay? Jesus Connor King, I believe he is who he said he was, and that this book, the Bible, means life for us today, even here in Ottawa. So uh, we're going to look at this uh, this morning together, Mark chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. I would like to invite, she's my friend and yours, Laura Wilcox, up to the front. <laughs> she's going to read these verses for us, and they will come up here on the screen behind me. 1, 9 to 11? Yeah, 9 to 11, okay. great. Y'all ready to receive <laughs> the baptism of Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being open, torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Great. Thanks, Laura. Do you want this? Uh, yeah, that'd be good. Okay. Thanks, okay. <laughs> All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather in this space. God, again, I do thank you for this space. I thank you for common. I pray that you'd be blessing their business. I pray that they'd be doing really well. God, thank you that they've been able to host us here as a church. But God, thank you that we're able to gather here and, and, and that we gather around your word. We gather around what you have spoken through people that have written this book. God, thank you again that you are the speaking God, and I pray that right now that you would speak. Holy Spirit of God, right now, even with anything that I've prepped, if you want something else said or you wanted to move in a different direction, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead me as I uh, seek to serve us as a church this morning. I pray it for Jesus' glory. Amen. Amen. 
Well, I think I said a week or two ago, I'm, I'm a big Netflix uh, documentary fan. I was telling you about a uh, documentary a week or two ago about uh, Back to the Future um, and a documentary that was, uh, that was done on that. I actually gave you the wrong title for that. I said it was called About Time. It's not called About Time. It, 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 it's, it's called Back in Time, I think. If you're a Back to the Future fan like me, you're all looking at me blankly, so I'm clearly the only Back to the Future fanboy in this room, but that's fine, okay? But uh, there's another documentary that a friend of mine in the church actually told me about a while ago and is on a musical artist named Tom Petty and uh, I used to work at a rock station back in Fredericton um, years ago uh, when I was kind of between 18 and 23 or 24 I used to work in radio I know many of you are thinking yeah I've always thought you had a face for radio rich so that confirms the suspicions there um, but we used to play a lot of Tom Petty and I and I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, Tom Petty or some of his bigger songs but he's got songs like Free Fallen and uh, Mary Jane's Last Dance and uh, American Girl there's quite a list and he's written for loads of huge American artists as well like uh, Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks, um, loads of others. I mean he's had quite a uh, quite an impression on, on the uh, the rock scene particularly in America but really around the world. But there's this documentary that you can watch on him. It's like three and a half hours long. It's quite a commitment but there's a line that a music journalist has in that documentary that I thought was fascinating. This music journalist was being asked what he thought one of the keys was to Tom Petty's drivenness. He was, he's such a driven artist, working, 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 touring, 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 writing, writing, writing. And this interviewer was asking a music journalist who's kind of an expert on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, he was saying, look, why is Tom Petty so driven? And the answer that he gave was not one that I was expecting. The answer that this guy gave was this. He said, look, it might sound strange, but in rock and roll, a common thing for really driven artists is that they're actually hated by their fathers. Whoa, wasn't expecting that. He said that was the case by Tom Petty. Tom Petty's father hated him, even as a child, abused him horrifically. And you can find articles where Tom Petty talks about this stuff, heartbreaking things. And as you're reading it, you're kind of getting a picture of a young boy who just becomes so driven to, to, to perform in something, to get really, really good at something, and he does it. He talks about this himself. He does it as an outlet. Music and writing became an outlet for him. And this wouldn't just apply to Tom Petty. Uh, I, many of you will remember when Michael Jackson passed away and there were a lot of uh, biographies that, that, that came out about him. That became a very regular part of his story as well. Uh, Axl Rose, I mean, the, the list would go on and on and on. And of course, it wouldn't just apply to rock stars, would it? You see, something has happened to fathering in our culture. There is something that has happened where these stories are all too common. Where stories of people that should, by their fathers, just be really being encouraged and loved and protected and cared for, but all too often, that is not the case. Even in the news recently, there was a, a, an interview with a very prominent person in, uh, in the States right now who was saying, or, or footage came out rather, of him doing an interview a few years ago where his daughter, his teenage daughter at the time, was being objectified by this other person, kind of like a shock jock radio host. And this father, hearing this, didn't even, it didn't even phase him. He just kind of laughed it off. And it's just strange, you know, the guy's own daughter being commented on right in front of him. So again, something has happened to fathering. Fathers are supposed to be protectors. They're supposed to be those that, that nurture and care for those under their care. But something has happened to fathering. It wasn't supposed to be like this. God's intention 
for fathering was that it would be a pointer to God as the perfect father, that in some way it would reflect him. The Bible says in Genesis that men and women, that we are made in the image of God, that we are God's image bearers as humans. This is part of who we are. How God has designed us. We carry something of the image of God. And for fathers, that means that as fathers, for fathers that are here in the room, we carry something of the fathering image of God as well. Now before I continue, as as you might be able to guess, this is largely going to be a talk about fathering. But if you're here this morning and you're not a father, I'd really encourage you, please don't tune out. Okay, Because what we're going to be looking at from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, and, and something that God the Father says over Jesus, his son, there's things that we can learn from this that apply not just to fathers, to fathers, to mothers, to grandparents, to anybody really. I'm going to, I'm going to paint quite a, quite a broad sweep here, but anybody who carries authority, In any way, maybe you're here and you're a manager at work. Maybe you have one or two people that you work that look up to you and that you lead a line manager or or you're a mentor to them or whatever else it might be. Let me say this, even if that's not you yet, even if everything that I've just listed off is not you right now, probably at some stage in your life it will be. At some stage in all of our lives, we do carry authority. We are asked to lead or we have an opportunity to serve people through leadership and through helping to care for them in some way. And I believe that what we're going to be looking at today from Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 11, that that uh, is relevant for all of those situations. So even though I'm going to be taking a particular focus on fathering this morning, uh, please don't think that 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 just doesn't apply to you uh, if you're not a father. What we see in Mark chapter 1 verses 9 to 11, we see Jesus being baptized. Now there's a question, why would Jesus even be baptized in the first place? If it's okay, we're going to press pause on that question. I'm going to touch on that towards the end. okay? Because what I want to do first is I want to talk about the fathering of God and the comment that God makes over His Son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus is baptized, all three persons of God are present. Okay, Christians believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Matt spent a bit more time on this last week. I'd encourage you to get onto the website and get that download if you missed that talk last week. But we see all three persons of God present at the baptism of Jesus Christ. But then there is this booming voice from heaven. This booming voice. And God the Father speaks. And He doesn't say much. But what he does say is this. He says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Gospel of Mark, as we were talking about a few weeks ago, is actually uh, Peter's story. We know him today as the Apostle Peter or Saint Peter. But at this time and at this part of the story, he was just, he was fisherman Peter. At the baptism of Jesus, he hadn't even met Jesus yet. Okay, that's coming later. We're going to get into that soon. But that hadn't even happened yet. But Peter knew about this because of something that happened a little bit earlier that Mark makes reference to here in verse 5. says, all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. That him is John the Baptist, the man who baptized Jesus. Jesus. So loads of people are going out. I've been to that part of the world. It's not a really, really big region. People would have been talking about this. They would have been talking about it. I mean, even here in Ottawa, imagine one day that there was something going on in the city and there was this booming voice. That would spread around town, wouldn't it? People would be talking about this. You wouldn't be able to get away from that. It's the same thing that's going on here. So Peter would have heard about this. Hey, did he hear about that thing that happened at the river? This is, this is crazy. There was this booming voice from heaven and somebody said this is my son you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so that's how Peter's finding out about this 
But there are three things that I want to focus on and drawing out of this statement that Jesus makes. That, that brief statement, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. There are three things that I want to draw out for us this morning that I think will serve us uh, as fathers, as parents, or anybody carrying any type of authority that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. So let's look into these together. The first one is this. When the father speaks, he starts by affirming Jesus' identity. When the father speaks, he starts by affirming Jesus' identity. There is a cinematic masterpiece that is on all the time in our house. It's just uh, one of the best films ever made, shot beautifully, written beautifully. It's amazing. It's called Toy Story 2. And uh, there's a scene in Toy Story 2, for those of you that have seen it, uh, where, where the evil Emperor Zerg okay, is playing with Buzz Number 2. That's the actual character name. It's not the normal Buzz Lightyear. It's Buzz Number 2. And there's this parody of this scene from Star Wars, the, the, the Luke, I am your father, uh, the Luke Skywalker. And Darth Vader scene, okay, that, that uh, some of you will be familiar with. And there's this scene in Toy Story 2 that's parodying that, and, and Zerg, this evil emperor Zerg, throws a ball, and Buzz goes, and, and, and Buzz number two goes and catches that ball, and then Zerg makes this comment, uh, Buzz throws the ball back, Zerg makes this comment, he says, good throw, son, that's my boy. Good throw, son, that's my boy. And with that, with that statement, what a, what a picture of fathering in our culture. And you'll see where I'm going with this. Usually in our culture, when a parent or somebody else with authority expresses pride in somebody, usually it is after something has been done. Now, I'm not saying that that's always wrong. As a father, I do that myself with my kids. Okay, Of course I do. I'm not saying that's always wrong. But it's interesting that that's not how God the Father starts here. He starts by speaking directly to identity. You are my beloved son. Now, Zerg doesn't do that. Zerg says, look at what you did. Good job. And that's how it tends to work for us. So when we're kids, it's, Good throw, son. That's my boy. And then we're going to get into school. It's good report card. That's my girl. And then we apply for the university. Good acceptance into that university. That's my boy. And then we get the job interview and maybe get the job. And somebody around us, uh, maybe it's a parent or somebody else, says, Oh, well done on getting that job and getting, you know, getting on the corporate ladder. That's my girl. And whatever else it might be. Action, response. Action, response. Action, response. God's fathering of us is very different than that. God's fathering of us starts off by saying who we are. And he even does that to Jesus Christ. Could God have looked at his son, Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus is 30 years old at this stage, okay? 30 years old. And we know from reading earlier in the other Gospels that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Would God the Father have had reasons to be proud of the things that Jesus had already done? Absolutely. Absolutely he would have. But it's interesting that in the baptism of Jesus, still that is not his starting point. Still his starting point is, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. This is a pattern that we see regularly through Scripture as well. In Psalm chapter 2, God speaks through David, the psalmist, and he says this, or sorry, Jesus speaks through David, the psalmist. He says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord, he, he there is referring to God the Father, said to me, you are my son, today I, be, I have begotten you. Still, when God speaks, even then, we don't know exactly when 
that happens. That, 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 this is something, a conversation that has been happening between the Father and the Son for all time. But even in that, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. God speaks through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. God says this, Behold my servant, he's speaking about Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I love that. My chosen, in whom my soul delights. Not, he did this, this, and this, and that, that, and that. So my soul now delights in him. My soul delights in him because I have chosen him. It's God's initiative. What grace. What grace. God then says, I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So number one, God the Father starts by affirming the identity of Christ. Is that because Jesus was insecure in his identity? No, not at all. Not at all. But he had a loving Heavenly Father and Jesus would have loved hearing it. It's not just insecure people that should hear affirmation. That's not the case at all. We shouldn't just affirm people when we think, oh, they, they just need to hear it. They're a little bit weak or anything. That's just silliness. That's just, that's just trying to use it as like a tool in a tool belt. No. In our church, even in the church culture here in Grace City Church, I, I hope my prayer for us is that we have a culture of just constantly affirming each other. Constantly. And that we get that into our language before people have even lifted a finger to do something where we're saying, you know what? Well done. I was praying with somebody the other day. We were having this conversation. We were saying that the way that it works because of grace, the way that it works with God, is that we have won the race before we even start it. It's amazing. I'll come on to that even with a kind of a bit of a race or a, an Olympic uh, example here in a moment. Number two, G, uh, the Father declares his pleasure in Jesus before Jesus starts his three years of ministry. This is a little bit connected to the last, uh, the last point that I was making, but I want to focus in on it even a little bit more. The Father declares his pleasure in Jesus before Jesus starts his three years of perfect ministry. Uh, a few years ago, the London 2012 Olympics, there was a, a, a media interview that went viral a little bit because there was this swimmer from South Africa that actually beat Michael Phelps in the 200 meter. And the uh, interview was with the father of this swimmer. And, he, and they, they, they kind of had this television monitor down in front of him while they were interviewing him. And while they were interviewing him, they were showing him this race footage that had happened earlier. And this father is watching it, and he's just beaming, and he interrupts the interviewer, and he says, look at that boy, he's beautiful. That's the comment he makes. Look at that boy, he's beautiful. And then he gets all shy about it. He's like, oh, sorry, are we live right now? Yeah, we're live, that's okay, don't worry about it. It's just this really, really sweet moment. Look at, look at that boy. Isn't he beautiful? This is what the, uh, this is what the father um, in that situation says over his son who beat Michael Phelps, which is no small accomplishment in, um, in swimming in the Olympics. It's a great story, a great example of a proud parent. Again, I, I really do want to stress that. Seeing somebody that you care for do something well and applauding them for it and saying you're proud of I'm not saying that's a bad thing here, but what I'm wanting to highlight is that our language should be just as much saying, I'm proud of you with no strings attached, with no action attached to it or anything else. But in this situation, this is what the Father says. But it's interesting that God, again, His fathering is very different. Would Jesus have uh, made God the Father proud already in His 30 years of walking the earth, of, having, of doing things well, of, 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 of being honoring to His Father already in 30 years? Would He have given His Father reasons to be proud? Absolutely, He would have. Absolutely. But when does God the Father make that declaration over Jesus? Well, it's at the baptism of Jesus, and the baptism of Jesus happens at the very beginning of Jesus' three years of ministry. 
See, grace means that God the Father looks at us, and before we even do anything, He says, Look at my boy, isn't he beautiful? Look at my girl, isn't he beautiful? You know that God the Father in heaven right now, if you're here today and you are in Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, do you know that God says that over you? Worship team, this morning, you know that God says that over you before you even sing the first notes? Guys that come in early here and help set up the tables and the chairs and move things all around and mop the floor, you know that God says that over you before you even fill the mop bucket? Mother, father in the room who just, I wish sometime my kid would just look at me and say, hey, mom or dad, thanks. (laughs) That's all I want. You know what? You know that your father in heaven, if you're here this morning and you are in Christ, you know your father in heaven looks at you before you do anything in parenting, even before you were ever a parent. And he says, look at my son, look at my daughter. Isn't he beautiful? Isn't she beautiful? God's fathering of us is, is very, very different. You see, we can get so hung up on just expressing our pleasure or our pride in people or in our children or whoever it might be after the fact that what we can actually end up doing is inadvertently essentially teaching them a law. It's teaching them a law. It's kind of getting into their minds, okay, if I do this action, then I'm rewarded with a parent who's saying that they're going to be proud of me. But I'm not going to hear that unless I do the action. So action, reward, action, reward, action, reward. I remember uh, just a little while ago, I took Zara over to the park over here. It's called St. Luke's Park, just over across the street. And uh, I find at times, for me, being proud of my child is actually not really about anything that, 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 that my children have actually done. It's actually more about me. Let me give you an example of this. But it's something where I was mindful, man, I could really lead my children into thinking this way, that I'm only proud of them when they do something that I like. But the more I kind of drilled down into that in my own mind, my, my, my pleasure in them, my, my, the feeling of pride that I had for them was actually more about me. And let, me tell you, let me tell you an example. So we were over there, and, and Zara, our beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old girl, um, she's, she's a strong-willed little girl. I love that about her. When she's got her mindset to something, there's no getting in her way. She's going to absolutely go for it. And when she goes into that little park over there, here she is. She's heard me speaking about her. When she goes into that little park over there, see everybody look over. See those gates that these people are going through right there? As soon as she is on the other side of that gate, like that is her turf, okay? You know the like back in the day, like the, the, the Biggie, was Biggie West Coast and then Tupac was East Coast? I am like the whitest guy in the world, okay? So I don't, I, don't, I don't know this stuff, all right? Anyway, when Zara goes in there, that is her turf. And in another kid, there's going to be a turf warfare happening on that playground if there are other kids around using things that she wants to be using in that playground. So I remember there have been times when we've been over there and she's been going on a slide and having a great time, but then another kid will come over and the kid will start going up to the slide and Zara will go, no, my slide, all right? Or if there's a swing, sometimes she'll say, hey, is her new thing. She'll say, hey, my swing. <laughs> so they'll be over on the other side of the park. And I'm watching this, like, okay, okay. So sometimes there are moments when Zara's on a swing, and this happened a couple weeks ago. Zara was on a swing, and she came off of the swing, and there was an empty swing beside him. This little boy kind of was coming up to this other swing. And Zara, I was kind of bracing myself for it a little bit, but Zara didn't. Zara pointed at the boy and said, boy wants swing. Boy wants swing. 
And she was kind of encouraging this boy to go over to the other swing. And I was like, well done. This is good. This is progress. It's good. We're, we're, we're moving forward. You've not tried to mess the kid up or anything else. Like, this is good. This is a good step for us. And the parent was there of the little boy. And the parent's looking. And has got this slight look of approval on her face. And I'm there. And I look at Zara. And I say, well done. I'm proud of you. But you know what I realized in that moment? That my pride in her in that moment was actually more about me feeling like I was looking like a good parent. It was actually me thinking, I hope that other parent realizes how good of a parent I am right now because my kid just offered another swing to another kid and that only happens if you're an amazing parent like I'm an amazing parent and I hope that you recognize that. So even that comment of, well done, I'm proud of you, well done, that was actually more about me than it was about actually just taking pleasure in her and being proud of her. And I'm very proud of her. I love her immensely. And as I was saying, and my little boy Joshua as well, even Joshua doesn't even, I don't even know how many words he understands right now, but I'm, I, I really want our children, and I really want our church, I don't think of you as children, okay, I don't, that's not the, uh, that's not the comparison I'm drawing here, but in our family and in this church, okay, I really want us to express pride over each other in a way that doesn't always attach it to action that attaches it to identity, that attaches it to who we know each other is in Jesus. I'm proud of you because I've chosen to be proud of you because I know that God is proud of you. And if it's good enough for him, it is good enough for me. And church, let me just say, is in, in, you know, in, take a brief moment to pause right here, even right now. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of this little church. I talk about you guys everywhere that I go. On the trips back to the UK, back to the mothership, our sending church over there that I refer to as the mothership. I talk about you guys a lot. I am proud of you guys. But I want my pride in you to be well placed. I want it to be placed in who you are in Christ. Thank you for having grace for me for the moments when you probably think, oh, is he just proud of me because I'm doing something, because I'm serving a role? Look, I can get that wrong sometimes. I recognize I can get that wrong sometimes. But I'm proud of you because of who you are in him. Number three, and this is a bit of a quicker one, is this. The Father speaks to the Son, but He lets the world listen in. The Father speaks to the Son, but He lets the world listen in. There would have been two times that Peter would have known about where God the Father spoke audibly about Jesus. The first time was a time when Peter wasn't there, but the second time he was. There was this amazing thing that happened. It was called the Transfiguration. Jesus, for this brief time, Sean, as white as the sun, he was seen kind of in his like his heavenly appearance. We can think of it that way. And Peter was there, and he's watching it. And and Peter doesn't really know what to make of it, so he makes this funny comment. He says, "says Rabbi, Jesus, teacher, it's good that we're here. It's good that me and some of the other disciples are here. We're going to make a tent for you and your friends that are appearing with you. This is a good thing. It's good that we're here." And God the Father speaks and kind of interrupts Peter. And this voice again booms from heaven saying, This is my son. Listen to him. I love that. Imagine Peter then. Sorry. 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 Okay. He really would have felt like that. But God the Father was saying, No, it's good for you to listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. The two times that Peter would have known that God the Father would have audibly, audibly spoken about Jesus. Okay, first, he speaks to Jesus' identity first. And second, he lets others listen in as well. For those of you that are carrying responsibility and authority right now, whether it be in the home or the workplace, wherever else it might be in the church, 
When you speak your pleasure over people and, and show pride over people, don't be afraid to let others listen in as well. Okay? Yes, doing that privately at times is really, really good. But don't be afraid to let other people hear that as well. Why? Because when you do that, you are living out something of the fathering that God does of us. God would have said on many occasions, privately, in conversations in heaven, for all of eternity to His Son, You are my Son. I love you. I am proud of you. But we do know of these times as well in Scripture where God says it and lets the world listen in. Again, as a church, let's work to have a culture where that is part of who we are, where we're regularly saying that over each other. And you know what? If we do that, the city will notice. Because that doesn't happen much in this city. I love Ottawa. I love this city. I hope I spend the rest of my days calling Ottawa home. But I'll tell you, this is a performance-driven city. We are obsessed with performance. We are obsessed with assessments. We are obsessed with six-month reviews or annual reviews or all of these things. Now listen, I'm not saying none of that has its place, but it, sh- it just so associates you know, someone's identity with what they do. And the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, associates your identity not with anything that you do, but everything of what Jesus did. It's a completely different way in. So if we have that culture ourselves in our church, if we're living that out, the city will notice. Guys, look to your left. Look at the windows, the floor-to-ceiling windows, looking out over Elgin. Look at the people that come in and go, oh, is, is Morning Owl open? Can I grab a coffee now? Look, so far, not many of them are sticking in. Last week, we had somebody come and stayed for at least 10 minutes after the service, which was great. But you know what? Someday, someone's going to come in, and they're going to stay. It'll ha- guys, it will happen. They will stay. All right. As we move around the city, maybe we'll be in this venue for a while, maybe not. I, I don't know. I don't know what God has for us. People are going to come, and they're going to come in, and if they see that as part of our culture, wow, these people honor each other. They speak well of each other. They don't seem to associate everything with what they can get out of each other. There's something different here. The city will really notice that, and they will want to be part of that. Even though the list of reasons why the Father could have been proud of Jesus was endless. It was an endless list. It was an endless list of reasons why the Father could have been proud of Jesus. Jesus' identity is grounded in the Father's declaration that Jesus is His beloved Son. And the Gospel says to us that even though the list of reasons why the Father would not be proud of us would be endless. Would not be proud of us would be endless. But for those whose identity is found in Jesus, the Father's declaration over us is that we as well are God's beloved children and that He is proud of us. What amazing grace. What amazing grace He has shown us. And let's end with this question of why was Jesus baptized anyway? This man who Jesus was, or who God the Father was so proud of, this Jesus Christ, coming to earth, living the life that you and I should have lived, including being baptized. It's an expression of being repentant of sin, of saying, no, I'm, 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 I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live in a way that is honoring to God. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. The reason Jesus was baptized is because it was an expression of the way that he was humbling himself to come down to meet us on our level, humbling himself even to that point. And Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, it's recorded there, that this was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. 
It was necessary so that we could know that this Jesus, this promised Messiah, this promised King, getting back to our original question, would come not as a King, but He would come as a humble servant. And He would serve us and He would stub his toe like we stub our toe and fall over as a child like we fell over when we were kids and growing up and getting older and even being baptized himself even though he had done no wrong still humbling himself to that point and ultimately humbling himself to the point of going to the cross in our place giving his life for us so that we could be counted as the beloved in the same way that God the Father says over Jesus, you are my beloved son, because of what Jesus has done, because he went to the cross in our place, he says over us, if we've received that by faith, that we are his beloved children as well.